Good to see you. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, if you would turn there in your Bibles with me. If you don't have a Bible, you can use one there on the pew rack right in front of you. And uh, I said it before, if you don't have a Bible at home, you can take that home and now it's yours. Now you have one, okay? <clears throat> before we get going uh, too quick here, I want to make sure uh, two things. First of all, we, we are desperately still in need of helpers for Harvest Festival. We have probably 50% uh, capacity right now of of the leaders or the, of the helpers we need at the event doing the games and, and booths. So if you, uh, it's not so much if you're inclined, but if, if you're willing to do that, w- please see Crystal Repass at the uh, kiosk after service. She will uh, help get you signed up to the place that you can, you can best serve, okay? Uh, there's a, de- a desperate need for that. Um, the other one is not a need, but it's, it's to make you aware. Pam Baum is leading a, a women's Bible study down in Dunsmere starting, I think, this week. Uh, it's doing the armor of God, and uh, if you'd like to sign up for that, some of you ladies have already been involved in that Bible study and will be a part of it again, but there's room, and she wants to extend that invitation to some of the other ladies going on. That day is Tuesdays at 10 o'clock, 10.15 in Dunsmere, okay? So she'll be out in the lobby also afterwards. Awesome. All right, well, we're going to be in Second Samuel chapter 7. Hopefully you're turning there or turned there. Uh, today we're going to look at the life of David, and a part of his life at least, and a part of the Bible where, where God made a covenant uh, with him, and the covenant was that Jesus would be born out of the line of David. Now, we knew that Jesus showed up uh, on scene in Genesis 3, right? The idea that, that out of the seed of the woman, God would provide the Messiah who would crush Satan once and for all. Now, fast forward now, we see David is an anointed king, and he is king, and God comes and says, here's, here's what I have in store, David. Not only is it the seed of Abraham, it's, it's going to be out of the, line, the house and line of David, that the Messiah will be born. So we're going to see the excitement of that today and, and the promise of that. Uh, but we're going to also look at David's life and see how we can apply the Scriptures to ourselves. You know, we, we need to contextualize Scripture. We need to read it, uh, understanding the audience, and understanding the time it was written, understanding the purpose it was written. And we also need to look at it for application of our own lives because we don't live back when David lived, but the Scripture is still timeless. And we need to be able to glean understanding from that and glean understanding about our relationship with God and how he wants to relate with us. So today we'll be uh, seeing what it meant for David and what it means to, for us to apply it in our lives as well. All right? Can we pray and we'll get started? Let's pray. God, you are so great. And we thank you that you are a good father, a father that, uh, that disciplines us, that loves us, that uh, embraces us when we find ourselves unembraceable sometimes. God, I pray you would you sharpen us today with your word. God, that we would see your spirit guiding us and directing us towards truth. God, that you would move us into a relationship with you that is more obedient. God, and, and that we'd find more and more joy and satisfaction in the hope that we have in Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So from a very young age, I'm going to give you a little history lesson on Brandon, okay? Um, a very young age, I wanted to be a police officer. Uh, I was four years old, five years old, and I have pictures of, of Halloween costumes. I was, I was a policeman, right? My uncle actually makes fun of me because I used to leave out the O in police. I just say police. I'm a, police, I'm a policeman. And, uh, and I, I wanted to be a police officer. I just, I, there's something heroic about it, something neat about it. And, and uh, I, as I grew older, I just had positive interactions with law enforcement. I'm sorry for some of you that may not have had positive Interactions with law enforcement. What did you do wrong? No. But you know what I'm saying? I, I just wanted to be a police officer. And then, of course, as time goes on, uh, young kids change their minds, right? And there was a time where, like, I just loved airplanes. 
I loved watching them fly. I loved, I loved seeing the, the wings and move. And, and I just like, man, that is so cool. I want to be a pilot. And then, of course, it went beyond airplanes. I wanted to pilot helicopters because it's like, how do they even stay in the air? It's just neat. I want to try it. And, uh, and eventually, later on in my teenage years, my eyes were not good enough to be, uh, especially a pilot in the military and then a commercial pilot, you got to have really good vision. So I couldn't do that. So maybe one day I'll be a pilot of just a, you know, a Cessna, who knows, my own personal plane. But I, I kind of abandoned that because my eyesight wasn't good. And I'm like, okay, no, no big deal. And then I went back to wanting to be a police officer again because that was just a lifelong dream, right? I wanted to be a police officer. So that was part of, part of uh, my life still. And then when I was about 14 years old, actually, no, I was, I was about 12, I started umpiring baseball, Little League Baseball. And I umpired Little League Baseball from that time all the way through, uh, through high school. And I loved umpiring. I got really good at it. I got really good, good training for it. And there was an, a time at the end of my high school career where people asked me and were encouraging me, maybe you should go professional and do this, you know, at least on a professional scale, move up, maybe be an MLB umpire one day. Like, that would be cool. That would be really cool. But, of course, thinking about a family, I'm like, I don't know if I could travel that much. I mean, it would be neat, but I just something kept me back from doing that. And, and in the meantime, I got a job um, working at an engineering firm with uh, an engineer in our town. And he had hired me from, uh, from a recommendation from our drafting teacher at, at the school. And he knew I liked drafting, and I had drawn house plans in his class. And he said, yeah, this kid might, might do okay for you. So he hired me, and he's a Christian man, great influence in my life uh, just for Christ. But I started to really become passionate about engineering and architecture and drawing house plans and seeing the intricacy of those, those plans. And we had a, at that time, we had a plotter. If you guys that have ever worked in this field, you know what a plotter is. It's, it's a big device with a bunch of pens in it. And it was the old school plotter. You put the right colors in, and you hit go, and this thing would just take, take the blue pen out and just do this. And, and then put it back and take the next pen out. And it was mesmerizing watching. Okay, it was fun. Then we... We graduated to like an inkjet plotter and just printed them right out. But I loved engineering. I loved working with the clients. I loved designing houses and making things work in buildings. Uh, it was just a neat thing. And he really encouraged me. Yeah, you, should, you should go into to engineering. You, you'd be good at this. It'd be fun. I think he kind of wanted a protege to maybe replace him. I don't know. And he, he, he was a Christian man. I, I said that. And he said that it'd be like Paul. He was, he was a tent maker. You could be a tent maker and still be involved in ministry of some sort, you know, and it'd, it'd be really cool. And Kind of sparked some interest in my life, but uh, the time for decision making was was coming up, and I, I started an, an internship with um, our local police department because I wanted to be a policeman. Okay, so I started doing that, and once you kind of get the bug, get the itch, you don't want to do anything else. It's kind of fun. Well, during that time, I started looking up my options. What am I going to do after I graduate? You know, and uh, so I looked into. I kind of dismissed the umpire thing. I dismissed the air, airline pilot thing, but I hadn't dismissed engineering. So I looked up the requirements at the Montana University I was going to go to, and, and I printed out the requirements, and I, I opened it up and started looking at it. Okay, general ed, general ed, general ed, math, 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 math. I'm like, what? I'm done with math right now, okay? I'm just, I'm over it. And I, I tell you what, that right there, that moment, there was no more thought or prayer or anything about it. I'm like, nah, I'm not going to be an engineer. I'm done because I want to be a policeman, Right? So I decided uh, that I would, I would go to, uh, to college and get a degree, associate's degree, in criminal justice. Because I was 17 at the time, going to be 18. They were kind of like, well, we could hire you, but we probably won't. Just give us a few years. We, and the local police department in my city wanted, wanted me to be there and wanted me to be part of the community. I wanted nothing better. I mean, it's Montana. It's my, my home. I wasn't like one of those kids who said, I can't wait to get out of here. I was like, I want to stay here. This is great. So I looked around at different places to go to college. 
we had a, a kind of an offshoot campus in our town of a, a school in Kalispell, about 90 miles away from my hometown. And, and they had a few courses but didn't have the full program there. And I was like, oh, I don't want to move, move somewhere else like the Kalispell or something and go try to get my degree there. And my parents recommended then, well, why don't you go down to College of the Siskiyous? I don't want to go to Kalispell. Why would I want to go to California? Well, my grandparents lived here. And, and part of my family, my uncles you know, lived here, and my cousins lived here. So there, there's some familiarity with that. And my grandparents said, you can, you can stay with us. You stay with us and go to College of the Siskiyous and get your degree. Sounds good. I'll do it. So I decided to pack up my bags, move to California, and go into the College of the Siskiyous and go get my degree in criminal justice. During that time, I, I started working uh, with Mount Shasta PD and then eventually with Wairika PD and, and just seeing that fulfillment come through and, and working and serving alongside those officers it was, it was an amazing experience of my, during my life. And while, that, while I was go- getting my degree at uh, College of the Siskiyous, I started, uh, just, w- just when I got here actually, uh, I started coaching uh, varsity softball at, high, at the high school. I was helping my uncle coach. And and I hadn't really started coming to church here yet. I, my grandma had always come to church here. In fact, there's a 1985 church directory with my parents and my mug in it. I mean, I'm, I was part of this church, right? So I, I, started, I started doing some things in the community and kind of getting settled and hadn't quite come to church. And I was working some night shifts, so I wasn't quite, you know, awake for church. And I went to, to practice one day, and one of the gals who hadn't been at practice yet, because she was in a different sport, finally came to practice and, and introduced herself and and, and I, had a, I had a Christian T-shirt on. It said, Soldier for Christ. And she says, are you a Christian? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, cool, me too. And she asked, she's like, what church do you go to? First Baptist Church. Oh, I go to First Baptist Church. I, I've never seen you before. Oh, man. Well, I, I should be going to First Baptist Church. But I'll start this week. And I did. And I started, I, and I knew God was saying, get involved, you you know what you need to be doing, and it wasn't a long gap of time. It was just something I needed to do, and I, I got involved. So as I was pursuing law enforcement as a career, and as I was just pursuing God, what he wanted in my life, um, I was a part of this ministry here, and I was, I was fortunate enough to be part of the student ministry here. And it, at the time, the, the church had, had a uh, youth pastor who had, had left to go to school, so there was no youth pastor at the church anymore. So there was a youth committee kind of formed with the Holst and like with Dane and Michelle and who was Hoyt, I think we might have been on that. Some other people were on that youth committee. And then they kind of said, yeah, come on and be a part of this. Help out. So I was able to kind of get my feet wet, and they gave me some tasks to do, and, and kind of was testing and improving, like, myself to them. And eventually they gave me a little more leeway, a little more freedom, and they'd have me teach once in a while or lead, lead a group of this or a group of that and organize this event. And, and then we, we were looking for youth pastors. And so resumes were coming in, and we'd look through them, and, oh, no, yes, no, okay, let's, read, let's, let's talk to this guy. And finally we said, well, this, this looks like the guy that we want. He kind of re- came to the top of the, of the surface there. And so let's, let's bring him up. And he, he came up, and it was one of those things, like, on paper, you look good, and you come in person, like, no, that's not the way God's, God's directed us. We just knew it's not going to work out. Don't call us. We'll call you. See you later. And, and the committee kind of met again and said, what are we going to do here? Now, they had been talking amongst themselves, I think, already, but they, they decided that, we decided that, hey, it'd be great, let's just offer maybe a summer internship or an internship program for a college student to come and be a part of the ministry at First Baptist and to help lead the youth group. Like, oh, that's a great idea. There's college students where I go to college, you know, and silly me, right? And, and, and they're kind of, you know, uh-huh. and we talk about it and we decide that's the way we want to go. We'll present it to the church. The church agreed. Well, later on, like I, it kind of went over my head what they were talking about. So I, I think it was the host had to come to me and say, Brandon, McFly, hello, McFly. We're talking about you. We think this is you. 
We think you need, I'm like, oh, really? And, and it was a shock thing because I, I had pursued and become ambitious and I, I was getting ready to go finish my California Academy training and then become a full-time in there, full benefits police officer, right? But my dream was right there. And God presented this opportunity in the form of, hey, hello, aren't you listening? This is what I want you to do. So I, I had to pray through that. I had to really consider that. And, and God, God totally confirmed it in my heart against all good conscience of some of my family members or good recommendations from my family members. They're like, nah, my grandma was for it. But everyone else was like, you're kind of stupid to do this. You're leaving what would be a full-time secure job that you have job security forever because people are always bad. Going to a church position that is a part-time seasonal internship. Like I have to get another job to make ends meet. And I did. And I, I said, you know what? I, I think that's what God wants me to do. So I did. I said yes, and I became an intern at this church uh, in youth ministry. Of course, now I'm an associate pastor filling the pulpit. We're in transition. I've applied to be senior pastor. So that's where we're at today. I wanted, I wanted to say that to you because I think there are times in our life where we, we're ambitious and excited and, and things are fun, and we know exactly. We've got life by the horns, right? We know where we're going. And God's like, uh, not, not quite. That's not quite what I had for you. See, I, I, I believe it is no accident that I'm here today. I believe that there is no accident that God wants me in First Baptist Church, Mount Shasta, for such a time as this. I moved here from Libby, Montana. I wanted to be an engineer, an umpire. I, I, should, be, I should be umpiring right now at the, at the playoffs, right? But I'm here doing something else. We have a lot of plans we have a lot of ambitions sometimes. We have a lot of excitement. Even a lot of things we want to do for God. And sometimes we have to sit back and say, God, what are you, what are you ask, actually asking me to do? What do you want me to do? Today we're going to look at David's life and we're going to see something. that He, he came back from wars and battles and he, he's resting in his, in his palace. He's like, mm, he's kind of, I picture him kind of twiddling his thumbs like, I need to do something for God. Uh, let's do this, grand idea. And God's kind of like, okay, David, but I, I have something totally different in mind and I, I need your heart here. I need your attention here so I can let you know what I have in store for you. So today we're going to look at that and we're going to look at how we can apply that to our lives as well. Sometimes we start to run ahead of God. Stan always would say, say, don't put the cart before the horse, right? Kind of pull the reins back a little bit, stop, think, look, listen, and feel. Make sure we're on the right track of where we're going. So today we're going to look at that in the life of David. And, uh, and I'm totally content being in ministry. I'm not a police officer. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a pilot. Right? I, I'm a, I am a pastor, and that's what God has called me to do. It's, it's a great privilege to do. So we're going to look at today uh, what we can expect when we partner with God. We decide to partner with God or align our hearts with God. All right. So we're in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Number one is this. When we partner with God, he calls us for his purposes. He calls us for his purposes. Okay, you ready to go with? Verse 1 through 11. When the king, that is David, had settled into his palace, and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies. Okay, stop there. The Lord had given him rest from all his enemies. Maybe, maybe what David needed to do was, David, just, just rest. Take a break. Take a load off. When he had given him rest from all his enemy, enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, Look, I'm living in a cedar house while the ark of God sits in tents, in, in tent curtains. So Nathan told the king, go and do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Uh, he was wrong, by the way. That night, uh, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go to my servant David and say, this is what the Lord says. Are you to build a house for me to live in? 
From the time I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until today, I have not, have I, or I have not lived in a house. Instead, I have been moving around with a, a tent as my dwelling. In all my journeys with, with all the Israelites, I have never, or have I ever asked anyone among the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why haven't you built me a house of cedar? Now, uh, this is what you are to say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of hosts says. I took you from the pasture and from following sheep to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all of your enemies before you. I will make the name make a name for you that is like the greatest in the land. I will establish a place for my people Israel to pl- uh, and plant them so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evildoers will not, not affect or afflict them as they have done ever since today uh, I ordered judges to rule over my people in Israel. I will give you rest from all your enemies. I will stop there for a minute. <clears throat> he calls us for his purposes. See, David, David had this grand idea. He's sitting there like, I'm living in a pretty nice place. But the ark of God's out in a tent. I read some commentaries, and J. Vernon McGee, he said, I, I kind of think it was a rainy day that night in Jerusalem. And, it, and he heard the rain, and he, he, he was safe in his comfortable palace, and maybe even heard the pitter-patter uh, of the tent flapping in the wind or the rain falling off of it. And he thought, this isn't right. I need something bigger for God, something better for God. So he had this grandiose idea. In the middle of this time when God gave him rest, just to, and I think he gives us rest and respite so we can bask in the awe of God. And we can understand God a little more and relate to God a little more and let him, let him make his presence known to us so we can relate to him. But David kind of gets fidgety. And I do the same thing. I'll, I'll start, I have a pen, it's a good thing. I click a pen all the time, right? I do the little fidget leg thing. I'm like getting nervous, let's go, let's move, let's move. Sometimes we just need to rest and chill out and, and know God. And trust in God and let God start a work in, in us. So David says, I have this grand idea. I'm going I'm to run ahead. I'm going to build this big temple for God. And, and his ark can reside there. The presence, the presence of the Lord can reside there. <clears throat> and God's like, did I, wait, did I ask you to do that? Did I ask you to do that? It's kind of a humbling thing, isn't it? We tend to run ahead of God. And, and maybe we should be asking, God, what do you really want me to do? Because we, we tend to guess sometimes, well, this is what God wants me to do. This must be what God wants me to do. This sounds great. It's a great idea. Let's go there and do this. And not that the temple for God's ark was not a good idea. It just wasn't what God had asked David to do. And, and he had, kind of put him in a check there. He said, David, I took you from that pasture as a little shepherd boy. I anointed you as king over all your brothers. I removed Saul and now you're king. You haven't done anything. I am God. I'm the one who is seeking to do something in you. And I'm the one who's seeking to do something through you. We shouldn't have to run ahead of Christ. We should be able to lay our lives down for him. God is wanting to do something in us. And, and this partnership we talk about, this partnership is, a, is an aligning our hearts with God. See, we think of partnership as, well, let's go 50-50 into this business deal. That's, God doesn't want you to go 50-50 with him into a business deal. God wants you to become what Paul said is a bond servant, a willing servant who is willingly going back to the master and saying, I'm going to serve you in whatever capacity you ask me to. I'll ride shotgun while you drive. 
I won't get out. I won't run ahead. I won't do anything unless you want me to do it. I will, I will bask and enjoy what you have in store. And, and God, he's trying to remind David, he's a good God. He's a big God. He has huge plans for David. He has huge plans, huge plans for David, but he has bigger plans for himself. Because he's God and, and he's, he's establishing a kingdom with a king of kings and a lord of lords that will reign forever. That kingdom that will last forever. It's not even about this earthly kingdom, this palace on a cold Jerusalem night when it's raining. It's about an eternity with the king of kings and lord of lords. Amen? So as we run ahead of God, we kind of miss the mark. We think we can do some grandiose gesture for God. And God's like, I didn't ask you to do that. Come, come on back here. Let's just be, come be with me. Come be, be beside me and be in my presence and, and get to know me. And then uh, as you abide in me, you'll start to produce a fruit. For David, uh, God called David for his purposes, not for David's purposes. He called him for God's purposes. God called him for his purposes. And David started running ahead. Uh, he needed to embrace the truth that God was doing something and God had done something. God had chosen David and God could continue to be with him. For us, we have to ask the question, what good thing, noble purpose, what, what project are you doing for God that may be outside of what God is asking you to do? What, what project or what ambitious thing might you be doing that is keeping you from hearing what God is asking you to do. We have to put ourselves in a position to see the master. We have to put ourselves in a position to hear from the Lord. I think it, I, I, now listen, I'm guilty as anybody, maybe more. I, I, I'm an ambitious person. I'm a type A personality. I want to go, 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 build, 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 make it awesome. But God sometimes just says, Brandon, just sit down and chill. Let, let, me, let me be God and you just be the servant whom I love and who, whom I saved. Oh, okay. I can do that for like about 10 minutes, right? With the, with the rest, right? With the rest. We let God, what we have to do is let God do his good things. His good things. Our hope is, our hope is in him and not our agenda. And I, I want you to understand something. For a while, I, I look at the news, and I look at our political climate in America, and I want to throw up. And I'm not here to tell you this is who you vote for, and this is what you do, and this is who we endorse. What, what I want to tell you is this. No man-made candidate or agenda will prevail. What you and I as the church are to do, partnering with God, is to take a stand with God. We don't run ahead of him. We don't decide for him what to do. We take a stand with God. And by the way, we take that stand with God before the election results occur. We don't take the stand after the election. We take the stand before the election. And we stand on the principles of this book, God's Word. There, there will never be a candidate. There will never be a candidate who can live up to what God says to do. Even David... Who, who is like God's man, was, was flawed and fallible. Personally for me, when I go to the polls, I'm probably writing in Jesus. Because my hope is in him and not in a, in a Trump or in a Clinton. My hope is not in America. America is, has gone pretty crazy. Okay? I, I, like many, are frustrated with the political climate. 
are frustrated with the immorality and the choices that America is making. But listen, we as the church are still the church. We as the people of God are still God's people, and we have a standard to live by. And we will not apologize for that. We will live for that. The world may fall away. The world will debauch themselves, do whatever they want to do. But you and I ought to stand. Not on the lesser of two evils. We ought to stand on Jesus Christ. He is our hope. And our hope is put in him. And if we start to run ahead with our agenda, with our idea, with our campaign, we're not listening to what God is asking us to do. So what I I want you to do is say, God, what do you want me to do? I want to run ahead. Put your hope in him, not on our agenda or our plans. A scripture from Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. A man's heart plans his way, right? But the Lord determines his steps or paths. This goes back to my my ambition for for what I wanted to do uh, in police work or pilot or whatever. I think there are times where our ambition, even our, our running ahead of God, God still is like, okay, I'm going to put them here. Okay, I'm going to put them here. Here's a list of math classes. You don't want to do that. And it, it's, he kind of puts us in line where he gets us where he wants us eventually. And then there are those times where we can just yield to God and say, God, what do you want me to do? God's like, oh, good. I'm glad you asked. Now we don't have to go through that rigmarole. I want you here. Right? But God is still going to be God, and God is going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And what he wants to accomplish is for his kingdom to come. And for his, his son to be lifted up so that everyone would see the hope that is in Jesus Christ. The, our, the world's hope is not America. Our nation's hope is not a candidate. Humanity's hope is Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's put our hope in him. So we, he calls us for his purposes. His purposes, not ours. Number two, if we want to partner with God or when we partner with God, he will be faithful to produce the results. God is faithful to produce the results. That verse is coming up pretty quick. Nope. Can you go back to a black slide, please, Davey? Go to 2 Samuel again. Let's look at our, our scripture. We're going to pick up on verse 11b. 2 Samuel 7, 11b. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. Oh, oh you want to build a house for me. How kind, David. Guess what? I want to build a house for you. And see, it's just like God to do that. I, I'm not this, this guy who thinks we're all going to be rich and, and healthy and blessed. But God is going to do something amazing in and through us for his glory. And I do believe that. And it doesn't have to do with wealth or prestige. It has to do with honoring God and obeying God so that he can get the credit and he can get the glory. David said, I, I just, I'm twiddling my thumbs here. I'm going to build a, a temple for you and for the, for the ark. No, David. I didn't ask you to do that. I'm going to build something for you. I'm going to build a house for you. And he goes on in verse 12. When your time comes, when you die and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He's not talking about Solomon. Okay. Verse 13. He will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a human rod and with blows from others. But my faithful, my faithful love will never leave him. As as I removed it from Saul, I removed him from uh, from your way. Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne uh, will, will be established forever. Nathan spoke all these words and this entire vision to David. God says, listen, I'm so glad you have big ideas for what you want to do. 
I've got bigger ones. I've got something bigger than you could ever imagine that I want to do. And even, even as ministry leaders in a church or Sunday school teachers or pastors or, or just Christians who want to love God with all they've got and, and do something big for him, the biggest thing that we can do is let God do what he wants to do through us. It's not accomplishing this, this huge strategic plan or strategy. It is you and I submitting and yielding our hearts and aligning our hearts to God so that he can speak to us, live in us, and guide through us and live through us to a world that needs to know the king that will endure forever. That's our job. That's our goal. We tend to run ahead. We want to do this grandiose thing. God says, just sit back. Let me do something amazing. And he reveals this to David. He says, I, I, I will be faithful to produce the results. And uh, he says, I will raise, a, raise up a descendant after you. I will establish. I will be the father. I will discipline. By the way, when he's talking about this, it kind of threw me off as I studied. Wait a minute. This is talking about Jesus, but when he does wrong, he's going to discipline him. How? What does that mean? Here's what it means. You, you're wrong and my wrong was placed on Jesus. And our guilt was put on him. And God was pleased to crush him for us. And when he did wrong, as a father, he disciplined him. He, he took the iniquities of us all and placed it on Christ so that you and I could have the righteousness that only comes from Christ because he was sinless. He had done no wrong. But he took our wrong. On himself. And, and he rose from the dead. And that's why the King of Kings and Lord of Lords will have a kingdom that endures forever. And that is our only hope. That is our only hope. And, and when we have that, when we have believed, when we've trusted in faith in Christ, that hope does not disappoint. That hope puts us in a place of joy despite world circumstances. Listen, gang, this world is only going to get worse. But the King of Kings, he's coming. He's coming, and one day it will all be made better. Go to Ezekiel real quick, chapter 36. It's uh, a few pages towards the back of this. Probably, oh, I'd say oh, about that much, half an inch, before the Old Testament, before the New Testament. Okay. Ezekiel chapter 36, we're going to check that out together. I just want us to understand that, that he is going to be faithful to produce the results, that it's on God and not on us. Okay, so I want us to look at our own heart and our own condition and, and see what God speaks to us about in Ezekiel as well and what that looks like concerning our heart and our soul. So we're in, we're in Ezekiel chapter 36 and we're starting in verse 24. He says, "For I, this is God, for I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries, and I will bring you into your own land. I will also sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your impurities and idols. I will give you a new heart and put a spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Who will? God will. It is God that is, is willing and working in us for his good purposes, for his goodwill, for his glory. It's God. We don't have to run ahead of God. We shouldn't run ahead of God because God's God. Let him be that. Let him be in charge. Let him save and let him heal and let him bind every wound and let him give us a spirit that can live through us and watch what he will do. 
God is saying to David, I never needed you to accomplish my will. I never needed you. But I chose you to let you be part of a great plan because you are a man after my own heart. You are a man who is abiding in me. You are a man who wants what I want. Now he says, now David, just let me do that through you. Let me do that. Watch what I will do. For you and I, similarly, God doesn't need us. God doesn't need us. I thought when Stan retired that we just would just, oh, let's just, just give up. You know, a guy like Stan who's been here 20 years, let's just, let's just stop. Like it's, it's going to be horrible for us. But I, I knew better, right? I knew that God was bigger than one man. If I died tomorrow, this, this church would continue to worship and celebrate Jesus. I, I hope you would. Because it is not about me or you. It is about what God is doing in and, in and through his people. This is, this is a, the household of God that we are in. It's about him. He doesn't need us, but he wants to bless us with the opportunity to partner with him as we abide in him. We talked about that several weeks ago, the, the scripture about abiding in Christ, that he is the vine and that we are the branches, right? And that as we abide in him, as we connect to him, as we, we get nourishment from him, he will produce a fruit. Is it my fruit or is it his fruit? It's his fruit. He will produce his fruit through my life. So you and I, our job is to abide. Abide. Not run ahead of God. Not try to figure out what God wants us to, to build for him. Just, no, listen to God. Abide in him and let him produce a fruit through your life. We are responsible. We are responsible because we're not off the hook. It doesn't make, it make us off the hook, right? We are responsible to have faith and trust in what he's doing. We are responsible to be faithful, to abide in him. And guess who is responsible for the results? He is. Maybe you have a husband that is not a believer. In fact, doesn't want anything to do with it. Maybe you have a wife. And maybe, maybe you've been praying for that spouse for years and you just feel like this guilt because you can't get him to connect with Jesus. Maybe you have a parent. Or maybe it's your child. Or maybe it's a good friend of yours. And you grieve and you grieve. And, and what you need to understand is you are only faithful to abide in Christ and let him produce a fruit through you in and around that person's life. But God is going to be responsible for the results. You and I can't build anything for God. You and I can't save anybody. It's all about him. So see, that weight and that guilt should be removed. And what should be replaced is just a faithfulness to abide and let God do that through us. So we're not off the hook. We don't get to be a lazy Christian sitting on the couch watching soap operas and eating bonbons. All right? Who would want to do that anyway, right? What we want to do is abide in God. See, when, when God re revealed this to David, David, think about what David's hearing from God. God says, you don't build me a house. I didn't ask you to do that. But I've got something way more, way more awesome in store for you. Then he told him, out of your house, I'm, I'm going to build a household that's going to be eternal. In fact, the Messiah is going to come out of your line. Think about what David is feeling at that moment. I thought I could do all kinds of things for God, but I couldn't. It was all about him. So let's look at the next part here. Number three is we, we will be in awe of his presence and work. When we partner with God, we will be in awe of his presence and work. So let's continue in verse 18. Oh, shoot, I lost the page. 2 Samuel chapter 7. 
We'll pick it back up in verse 18. I meant to tell you to keep a finger there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So this is his response. And then, I'm hearing this, David went in, sat in the Lord's presence, and said. See, it's kind of like a come to your senses moment. It's like, oh, wow. Yeah, maybe I should get with God for a little while. Maybe I should, should have his ear and he has my ear and I can listen to what he says. He said, David went in, sat in the Lord's presence and said, Who am I, Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought this, uh, or brought me this far? He understood his position, right? He's like, who am I? I'm nobody. I thought I was everybody and I'm nobody. Verse 19, what you have done so far was a little thing to you, Lord God, for you have also spoken about your servant's house in the future. So it's David saying, listen, you brought me here. You, you anointed me as king. You uh, made my enemies scatter or destroy them. And, and here I am in rest in Jerusalem as a, as a capital. Look what you've done. He says, that was a little thing. That was small potatoes compared to what you're going to do. He says, and this is a revelation for mankind, Lord God. Uh, what more can David say to you? You know your servant, Lord God. Because of your word and according to your will, you have revealed all these great things to your servant. This is why you are great, Lord God. There is no one like you, and there is no God besides you, as all, uh, as all we have heard confirms. And who is like your people, Israel? God came to one nation on earth in order to redeem a people for himself, to make a name for himself, and to, perf- uh, to perform for them great and awesome acts, driving out nations and their gods before your people you redeemed for yourself from Egypt. God's like, I am pursuing my people, and David sees that. You established your people, Israel, to be your own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. David goes back and sits in the presence of God and says, wow, wow. And I want us to have that wow moment individually. The moment where we say, that could not have been accomplished without God. I tell you my story because that is a story of wow for me. How in the world am I standing right here on October the 8th, 2016? Wow. God is an amazing God. And what he's asking from you and I is to sit in his presence and in, his, in, in awe of what he's done and what he's going to do. To partner with him as we abide. To, to have a, a heart that's, that's after his own heart. So we can see what great and awesome things he is going to do. Amen. And he is going to do great and awesome things. And he's done great and awesome things. But I want, I want you and I to have this freedom to rest. To take a breath. And to know that we can sit in the presence of God and listen for him to tell us what he wants us to do. And to not run ahead of him. We don't have to run ahead of God. For David, he found comfort sitting in the presence and awe of God. And he found peace and courage then to say, you, you are God and there is no one like you. For you and I, we need to slow down enough to be in that presence and awe of God. We need to abide and let the fruit of of the Spirit be produced in our lives. I have a scripture I want to show you today. The next one. 37, no, back one, please. 
be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Be silent before the Lord. Wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated or frustrated when you run ahead or when other people are running ahead, right? Don't be agitated by the one who prospers in his way, by the man who carries out evil plans. People all around us, culture all around us, is doing whatever the heck they want. We are not to be that way. We are to be silent before the Lord and place ourselves in the awe of God, in the presence of God, waiting to hear from Him, and we are expecting Him to do His great things. And and listen, one day, He will establish a kingdom that will last forever. That's our God. We wait expectantly for Him. And finally, number four, when we partner with God, the results are for His glory. The results are for His glory. Let's finish up our, our chapter here, verse 25 through 29. Now, Lord God, fulfill the promise forever that you made to your servant and his house. Do as you have promised so that your name will be exalted forever when it is said, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. The house of your servant David will be established before you since since you, Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant when you said, I will build a house for you. Therefore, your servant has found the courage to pray this prayer to you. Lord God, you are God. Your words are true, and you have promised this grace to your servant. Now, please bless your servant's house so that it will continue before uh, before you forever. For you, Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing, your servant's house will be blessed forever. David says, God, you are God, and, and whatever you do in my life, through my life, through my household, let it be to exalt and glorify you that would point people to you. Psalm 115, 1. says, not to us, Lord. Not to us, but to your name give glory because of your faithful love, because of your truth. We, We might be a little faithful. We might try to be as faithful as we can, but God is the faithful one. His truth is the truth. And because we can rest on that and rest in the promise of God, and the, we can glorify God and give him the glory. The glory is not to us, but it's to his name that we give glory. David set his heart on exalting and giving glory to God. And listen, he's not perfect because he screws up pretty quick here. He's not perfect. But he wanted to see God lifted up. He wanted to see God glorified. For us, we must be content, content. Brandon, be content. Content to abide in him and that I could decrease so that he would increase. He is God. Amen? Let's let him stay on his throne. Why don't you stand and have prayer with me? Father, as we close today, we, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are a God who who has an agenda to have a kingdom that reigns forever. God, remind us that there's nothing that you need from us. You you don't need us at all. But God, you give us the opportunity to abide in you so that you would produce a fruit and that you, you would be glorified. We ask that you would help us to not run ahead of you, that we would be still and be silent, 
We would stop struggling with whatever it's we're struggling with. And God, we would, we would be in your awe and in your presence and hear from your spirit what you're asking us to do. Help us be content in the hope that we have in Jesus and be content to be a bond servant of Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we close with a song, it's, it's your opportunity and my opportunity to respond. Maybe you need to just stop pursuing your own way and say, God, I, I need Jesus. I, I need Christ to forgive me. I need him to redeem me. I need his righteousness to be my righteousness. I want to believe Jesus. I want to know, know the hope that everyone else here might know. Cry out to him where you're at. Respond to him with your heart and believe in him. Maybe you want prayer. Maybe you want to be encouraged about something going on in your life. I'll be down here. We'll be happy to pray for you. Maybe you need to pray where you're at. Maybe you need to sing to Jesus at the top of your lungs because there is no one like our God. And maybe you need to be silent in his presence and listen to him as the song plays. Whatever it is, this is an opportunity for all of us to respond to him. All right? Let's sing.